So if you're in Joshua, turn to verse 17. Joshua chapter 6, verse 17. So chapter 6 of Joshua is the great story of the fall of Jericho. They come out, they're coming into the promised land. So the first city they encountered was the city of Jericho. They marched around it seven times. And then at the, after the same time, they gave a great shout. And the Lord said, shout. And they all shouted, and the walls of Jericho came down. But look at verse 17. We're going to pick it up from there. Verse 17. And the city shall be accursed, even it and all that are therein, talking about Jericho, to the Lord. Only Rahab, the harlot, shall live, she and all that are with her in the house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. And ye, in any wise, keep yourselves from the accursed thing, lest you make yourselves accursed. When you take of the accursed thing and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. But all the silver and gold and vessels of brass and iron are consecrated unto the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. So when you study this out, there was a major, there's ten major cities that uh, Israel conquers. And what God does is the first city they conquer is Jericho. And God says, okay, all the spool, the gold, the silver, everything you get that belongs to me. That's the tithe, that's the tenth. Of, that, of, the, of the first of those ten cities. And then afterwards, if you read through the book of Joshua and you continue reading, as Israel starts conquering through the promised land, uh, he's letting them have all the gold and silver that belongs to them. So this was a tithe. So the Lord looked at this like it was a tithe, that when they're, they're coming in here, hey, this belongs to me because I'm going to get the victory for you. And he did by, by pushing the walls down. And he said, don't you carry anything out that all belongs to me. And it's a curse, so don't touch anything, don't grab anything out of this city. Verse 20, So the people shouted when the priests blew with the trumpets, and it came to pass when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, and the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat so that the people went up into the city. Every man straight before him, and they took the city. So we all know the story that they did take the city. The walls of Jericho fell down. Now, turn to chapter go, go ahead to chapter 7. Verse 1, it probably is on the same page. Chapter 7, verse 1. Remember, the, 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 the warning was, don't grab anything out of this city. It all belong, what's gold and silver belongs to me, but everything else is a curse. So don't you grab anything, don't you take anything, don't you take the spoil of the city. But look at chapter 7, verse 1. But, the worst word in the English language, but. But. The children of Israel committed a trespass in the accursed thing for Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed thing, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray you'd forgive us of our sins, Lord Jesus. And Lord, I pray, Father, you'd cover us in the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray, Lord God, that your Holy Spirit will lead God and direct us this morning in all truth. Lord, make sin real to us, Lord. Make us understand your hatred for it, Lord God, and how you view it, not how we view it or how the world views it, but how you see it, Lord. Help us to understand this as your words off this page come alive, Lord God. Help us to comprehend it through your Holy Spirit. We love you, Lord. Thank you for your long-suffering, your grace and mercy. In Jesus Christ, holy name I pray. Amen. So this, this sermon's about sin. It's not a very popular subject. It's about sin. And I'm going to point out some of the things that sin does in a man's life or a woman's life. And I'm going to point out something about sin and how Satan deceives you and some of the devices that Satan will use to get you to commit sin. Notice here, the first thing you need to know about sin. One person's sin, Achan, 
is the one that committed the sin. He's the only one that took something. But God says there in verse 1, but the children of Israel committed a trespass. So God had held it against all of Israel. So this is the first thing you need to know about sin. Sin, one person's sin can destroy a whole nation. You want to know what's wrong with this country? It isn't the Democrats are in office. You know what's going to make this country right? It's not getting the Republicans in office. What's going to make this country right is for this country to repent of their sins and turn back to God. That's the only way this country's going to get The reason why this country's going down like a sinking ship is because of sin. It's a sin. And, you're, and I know, I know, I know your wicked heart. I know all y'all's weak. I have a wicked heart, too. As soon as I say, this country's a bunch of sinners, you're thinking of San Francisco. Soon y'all might win as close as Austin. You thought about those sinners. I'm talking about right here in this church. The sin right in here. The sin. The sin. Because when this, this, when this church or any church can get right with God and get themselves cleansed and, make, and get serious about the sin that they're committing. Say, you know what, Lord, I'm tired of sinning. I'm tired. I want to live a righteous life, a holy life. I want to be consecrated for you. God can use us and do mighty things. But one man's sin, one person's sin in a country can bring that country down. And God will hold it against them. Let me go so far as to say one person's sins in this church can bring this church down. And God can, can quench the Holy Spirit as it moves. Amen. You say, well, it's just one person's sin. You don't understand how God views sin, man. Sin is awful. It's deadly. In God's eyes, every sin is abominable. And we try to, we try to sugarcoat it and make it look good. To a holy God, to a righteous, holy God, our sin is filthy. But we try to cover it up and try to make sure, we try to pretty it up and paint it up and try to make excuses for it. But to a holy God, it's sin, and sin is sin. It's filthy. It's awful, and sin ruins all other things about God. God doesn't like sin, and he's a holy God. I, I say this all the time from this pulpit, but if you, if you listen to anything, if you grab a hold of anything I say, understand this. God, above all things else, is a God of holiness. Whenever John is raptured up around the throne of God and all the seraphims and the cherubims are there, they're chanting day and night, love, love, love. No, they're not. Read your Bible. When John gets up there, what are they chanting? The Bible says they chant day and night. Holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty. Day and night. So if you think your little sins are no big deal to God, they're a big deal to God. You're going to find out Achan just took a little bit of gold, a little bit of silver. He took a little bit of garments. And just doing that little bit of sin, God says, I'm holding against everybody. I told y'all not to do that. Sin is sin. Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Just a little bit of sin. Just a little bit of sin. A little bit of sin. See, Paul goes on to say in 2 Corinthians 2.11, now this is it, listen. In 2 Corinthians 2.11, Paul says, Lest Satan should take advantage of us, Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Satan has devices. Satan has a plan. Satan's very subtle. 
Satan is very, very wise. The wisest being outside of Jesus Christ would be Satan, our adversary. He's seen it all. He's done it all. He's been it all. He knows it all. He's been around God. He's been there in the heavens. He's been down here on earth around the worst sin. He loves it all. And he can fool you. And he'll trick you. And he's got devices. He's got ways he does it. And one of the first ones I want to show you is his little devices is to convince you that a little sin and there's big sins. There's little sins and there's big sin. Brothers and sisters, in God's eyes, it's all sin. And we can't get a hold of that. And Satan will say, well, there's little sins. You know, I'm just, I stole, the, I stole this little bit of uh, candy from the store, but I sure didn't steal from the, I didn't steal $1,000 from the bank. But see, in God's eyes, you're a thief. It don't matter if you stole just a piece of candy out of the store or if you stole $1,000 from the bank. In God's eyes, you're a sinning thief. We try to justify it. We try to make excuses for it. We try to pretty up sin. And God doesn't have anything to do with that. But Satan loves it. A little sin, a little leaven, leaveneth the whole lump. So uh, if I was to take a little bit of a poison and put it in this water, would you want to drink it? It's just a little, it's just a little drop. It's no big deal. Just a little deadly poison. It's saying the same thing. You're saying the same thing when you talk about little sin. You're falling right into Satan's hands. When you think, because it just takes just a little drink. Just a little, I'll just take a little drink. My friends are around and they're offering me a little bit of alcohol. I'm not a drinker, but I'll just take a little drink. And then the next thing you know, it's a little more of a drink. The next thing you know, you're taking a lot of a drink. And the next thing you know, the drink is taking you. See, there's a Chinese proverb. Man take drink. Drink take drink. Drink take man. That proverb means, you know, first man's the one that's taking the drink. He's in control. He's taking just a little sip. It's just a little sip. And then before long, the drink is making the man take the drink. He's got to have it. He becomes an alcoholic, and then the drink takes the man. A little sin leavens the whole lump. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Just a little sin. Look at verse 2. Let's move on. And Joshua sent, from, sent, from, uh, sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is uh, beside Beth Haven on the east side of Bethel, and spake unto them, saying, Hey, go up and view the country. And the men went up and viewed Ai. And there, there returned to Joshua and said unto him, Let not all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and smite Ai, and make not all the people go to labor thither, for they are but few. So what happens there is, is they just won this great battle of Jericho. They go down. Ai is just a little bitty, little bitty town. And like, well, we don't need that many people to whip Ai. We already whipped Jericho, so just send a few thousand. They'll go down and they'll whip Ai. We don't have to get everybody involved. Verse 4, so there went up thither of the people about 3,000 men, and they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai smote of them about 30 and 6 men, for they chased them from before the gate even to Shebarim, and smote them in the going down. Wherefore, the hearts of the people melted and became as water. Second thing you need to realize and we need to talk about when it comes to sin and the effects of Achan's sin is it's not immediately known. Joshua doesn't know about it. Verse 1 told us that the Lord was, his anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. But they didn't know it. They didn't know it. 
Solomon says in Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 11, Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set to them to do evil. What he means is, it's just because you do that little sin, and then you know, lightning doesn't come down and strike you, and you're like, well, okay, well, I think my, maybe God's okay. I, mean, I got away with this one. And then you do a little bit more sin, and lightning doesn't come down and strike you, and you're like, uh, I think I'll do a little bit more sin. How many of y'all have been around somebody that says something about God, that says something bad about God, or mocks God, so I don't believe in God, and, and you'll see them, they'll like back up and say, I'm waiting for the lightning to strike you. I've seen that at work more than once, you know. Somebody's mocking God. The lightning didn't strike them, does it? And they laugh. Ha, 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 ha. The lightning's coming. It's coming. God is not mocked. God is not mocked. It's coming. And they forget about that. They think that just because they, they, they do something and God doesn't come down and smack them around, they're like, well, okay, I'm getting away with this. You're not getting away with this. What you're finding out, sinners, and we're all sinners in here, can I get an amen to that? All right, we're all sinners. What we don't, what we we don't, what we find out as sinners is simply this: as you're living in this sinful nature and you're trying not to sin, and some of us are sinning openly, some of us are sinning secretly, some of us are sinning and thinking God's not going to get away with it. What you're finding out, even the world is finding this out. But us Christians, we know all about it. Is it's the thing called God's long suffering. Our God is a very long, one of the great attributes of God. In other words, he puts up with you. <laughs> he puts up with your nonsense. You know how we don't put up with nothing? How when our kids would do something, went, they'd do one little thing, we'd rip them up by the arm and, you know, we, we wouldn't put up with nothing, right? I, I'm, not, I'm speaking for myself, speaking for some of you men in here. We didn't put up with nothing. God's not like God's very long suffering. He's like I was at a family reunion one time, and one of the kids was misbehaving, and the lady was like, Johnny, stop doing that. Johnny, stop doing that. I said, stop it, Johnny. I said, stop it. Johnny, will you please stop it? And one of the men turned around and said, will you shut up? You're worse than what he's doing. Just do something about it. I'm tired of hearing you. That's how God is. God's like, will you please stop? Will you please stop? Will you please stop? Will you please stop? Will you please stop doing that? I wish you wouldn't do that. We got a graceful merciful, loving, loving, long-suffering God, but we also got a holy God. And we think just because nothing's happened to us that he's not going to judge us for that sin. But he hates sin. God hates sin. Anytime, anytime. Now, y'all, I'm speaking for me. I'm not speaking for you guys. And I'll, I'll, put a, I'll put a disclaimer on this, but anytime something really bad happens in my life, I get down on my knees and, and repent. I don't care what it is. If I get sick, if bills come in I didn't expect, whatever it is, I'll get down on my knees and I'll repent. I'll say, Lord, I, Lord I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Because, see, I could repent 24 hours a day. What are you saying? I'm thinking that what's happened. See, I, I'm just crazy enough to believe that there's a payday someday. And that God just hasn't paid me back yet. So I know God's going to pay me back. So I'm thinking, okay, well, and if something starts bad starts happening, I'm like, Lord, I'm sorry. I wish I could see in my mind, Lord could have built a hedge of protection around me. He could have protected me, but he didn't. Why didn't he do that? Maybe he's not happy with me. Maybe he's like Josh was finding out, hey, I'm going to go on to battle. Everything's great between me and God. And then you go down to battle, and it all falls apart. And you go back, and you're like, what happened? <laughs> now, we know we're living in the flesh. We're living in this world. Bad things happen to good people. Amen. 
It does, that has nothing to do with your illness, your, your family. Not all of it has to do with you doing a sin. But I'm here to tell you, most of it does. Not every bit of it. We're living in the flesh. We're all going to pass away. We're all going to deal with illnesses. But brothers and sisters, a lot of what's going on in the world today is sin. Sin. Say, well, brother, I'm, just, I'm doing a little bit of sin. I'm not doing much sin. God threw Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden for eating one apple. That's our God. Say, well, I don't like that. Well, there's some things about God I, I wonder about too. But you're not God and he is. And what you need to find out is like, what does he want? What, is, what, what does he want out of me? What does he expect out of me? He's my creator and I'm the creation. And one thing I know about him is he's holy and I'm not. And he doesn't put up with foolishness. He doesn't put up with foolishness. Look at verse 6. Joshua ran his clothes and fell to the earth upon his face before the ark of the Lord until the eventide. He and the, uh, and the elders of Israel and put dust upon their heads. So they start praying. They start repenting. They're starting to do something. They're like, hey, let's fall down before the ark of God because that's where he would show up at. And let's see if we can get right with God. They fell down and they're praying asking God. Verse 7, and Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, wherefore hast thou all brought this people over Jordan to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? Would to God we had been content and dwelt on the other side of Jordan. That was not a smart prayer. <laughs> Lord, why are you doing this to me? I was doing a lot better when I was on the other side of Jordan. He's in the land that God promised. And he's like, why are you doing this to us? The Amorites are getting after us. And it's, he's blaming God. Why is this coming into my life? Why are these bad things happening to me? God, why are you doing this to me? I was better off before I was a Christian. I was better off before I was going to church. I was so much happier. I was happy living. That's what he's praying. That's not a very wise prayer. Verse 8, O Lord, what shall I say when Israel turneth their backs before their enemies? Verse 9, For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land shall hear of it and shall environ us around. Environ, that's a weird word. You use it all the time if you've ever used the word environment. It's surround, environ, circular around us. He's saying all those that are around us shall environ around us, circle around us, and cut off our name from the earth. And what will thou do unto thy great name? He's saying, Lord, our name's on us. They're going to they're gonna beat us. They're going to whip us. They're going to kill us. And your name will go away. Look at verse 10. What's God's answer to this? And the Lord said unto Joshua, get thee up. Wherefore liest thou thus upon thy face? What you doing on the ground? Get up, boy. What are you doing up there praying? This isn't a time to pray. This is a time for action. This is one of Satan's devices. One of Satan's devices is to have you talking when you should be doing. That's one of Satan's devices. It's one of his great devices. Instead of Asking the Lord all the time, Lord, will you forgive me? Will you forgive me? Will you forgive me? Will you forgive me? You're lucky the Lord don't come down and say, why don't you get up and stop doing that right now? Get up. Get thee up. Brothers and sisters, some of this stuff, you're just going to have to live it to understand it. But if you came into this church one Sunday morning and you walked down this church and I seen you and I walked right up to you and just smacked you right in the face. You might be startled. Some of y'all would definitely hit me back, amen. And I said, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I just, I don't know what came over me. Will you forgive me? I, I just, just have, have my arm, sometimes it just kind of gets away from me. 
Yeah, whatever, Pastor. Okay, yeah, I'll forgive you because God wants me to forgive you. And then the next Sunday you show up, and you show if you <laughs> if you did show back up. Next Sunday you show up, and I walk up there to you and just smack you in the face again, and say, "Well, I'm sorry." See, I mean, what are you doing? And then the next Sunday you show up, and I smack you in the face again. Oh, I'm sorry. Just forgive me. Please forgive me. I didn't mean to do that. How, many of that, how much of that would you put up with? Before you stop my hand and say, boy, I'm about to whip you like a, jump on you like a rooster on a June bug. You're dumb, pastor. We're, we're just slapping at the face of God, slapping at the face of God, slapping at the face of God. God says, get up. I'm tired of you talking to me about it. Why don't you stop doing it? Cut it out. Stop. Amen? Stop. I know it's getting quiet in here, but you, sometimes you just got to stop. You got to stop because God's not happy with you. He's never happy with sin. He's never going to be happy with sin. He's going to send sinners to hell. And he's not happy with you if you're a saved, born-again child of God and you're still sinning. He says, cut it out. Now, we're sinners. We're going to make mistakes. But, brothers and sisters, sometimes we're just poking at God. Poking at God. Poking at God. And, boy, does Satan love that. Satan loves it. He loves it. Look at verse 10. And the Lord said unto Joshua, Get thee up, wherefore liest thou thus upon thy face? Israel hath sinned. And they have also transgressed my covenant which I commanded them. For they have even taken of the accursed thing, and have also stolen and disassembled also, and they have uh, put it even among their own stuff. Therefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turned their backs before their enemies, because they were accursed. Brothers and sisters, when you're in continual sin, when you're sinning and you're just poking at God, you can't stand before the devil. You're right in the devil's playhouse. You, the devil's got you. He loves it. You can't stand before your enemies? Are you having trouble standing before your enemies? It might be because you're sinning just kind of poking at God and just poking at God and just poking at God. And Therefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies but turned their backs before their enemies because they were accursed. Neither will I be with you anymore except you destroy the accursed from among you. See, Christians who've lived a, a, a long Christian life, I've been a Christian for many years, I found out a simple truth about God. Our God is a long-suffering God, but he's got a belt. Man, and when God gets tired of you and he pulls off that belt, hmm, <laughs> he'll whip you. Man, he whipped me so bad, he whipped me up into the Santa Ana Mountains. I got so down and out, and I was in the middle of some sin, and he whipped me, and he whipped me, and he whipped me, and I ran from God, and I ran up. up on, if you ever go out to Abilene, go up the... I guess it's 84, you go past the Santa Ana Mountains. I climbed up those Santa Ana Mountains. I got up there, Santa Ana Mountains. And I said, God, I'm not coming down until I get right with you. And I prayed and prayed and prayed and said, I'm going to stop doing this and I'm going to cut this out. And man, I don't want to ever experience that again. God will whip you. And the Bible goes so far to say, and Paul says, if he's not going to whip you, then you're no child of his. It's a scary thought. He doesn't put up with that. He, doesn't, he will, 
He will, and, and he does, and that's why you're in here, and you're so quiet because you've been sinning, you've been doing some things maybe you shouldn't do, and you know God's not happy with it, but you're doing it anyway because you haven't. God hasn't struck you down with lightning yet, but God is not mocked. Whatsoever man so soweth, that shall he also reap. And the payday's coming. There's a payday someday. And I'm trying to warn you that if you keep on and keep on and keep on and keep on, one day God's going to have enough of it. And you're going to go down to fight one of your enemies, go down to do something, you're going to wake up and go, hey, man, how did you get here? How'd this happen? And you're going to say, well, I'll just get down to praying. God says, don't have nothing to do with your prayer life, boy. It has to do with you. Stop doing what you're doing. Just cut it out. He said, get thee up. Wherefore liest thou upon thy face? You know, it's the only time I can find in my Bible where God didn't want somebody praying to him. Now, there might be other places. Maybe y'all can find them, but. Man, when I look in my Bible, there ain't a lot of places where God says, hey, I don't want you praying to me, and I want, no. But this is one of them. Had to do with sin. You know, have y'all read about Phinehas? So, <laughs> there were some, there, they, God had told them, don't you marry, God had told them, don't you marry outside of this country. So there were some Moabites and Canaanites, and so what Israel was doing is they were going in there marrying these these Moabites, and they were bringing Israel, they are bringing all these false gods in. And God says, okay, cut it out. I don't want you to marry them. You marry within, the, it, it, within Israel because they're bringing in all these false gods. Well, they kept on doing it anyway. Well, they, God comes down and tells them, hey, cut it out. Y'all stop doing that. And one of the men brought their wives to the tent, and he was crying. And his wife was crying. They're like, I don't want to separate from her. I don't want to, I, I don't want to lose her. And you know what this Phinehas did? The Bible says Phinehas got this big old long javelin and he chased them into the tent and he took it and just right through both of them. Just killed both of them. You know what God said about that? I like what Phinehas did. <laughs> he was zealous for me. Amen. I'm here to tell you that we're living in an age of grace. Praise God. <laughs> Nobody's going to run a javelin through you. Praise God. But I'm here to tell you that God loves somebody who gets serious about sin. They have done with it no more. But see, Christians have been so yellow-bellied, so cowardly, as the LBGQT movement starts coming in, we've just, oh, it's okay, okay. Y'all want to get married? Oh, it's okay. And we allow this sin, and we allow this sin, and here we are, guys. Where you at? You got exactly what you deserved. I was reading this old, old book about In His Steps, and this preacher was up there preaching, and they voted alcohol into the town, and alcohol was ruining the town, and the preacher got up. He goes, the only reason we have alcohol in this town is because you voted for it. Every one of you in these pews. And he was in his preaching. I said, man, that's good preaching. Because the truth is, is, the reason this country's in the shape it is is because Christians have dropped the ball. And what I mean dropped the ball is that we've gotten into sin, and we're wallowing around in sin, and we're not meant to be in sin. You know what happens when you throw an old sow into a mud pit? You throw an old pig into a mud pit, it just wallows around and makes itself at home. Wee, wee, wee. It's so happy. It's so happy. But you know what happens when you throw a sheep down into a mud pit? Wah, wah, wah. It don't belong in a mud pit. Brother, sister, you're sheep. You don't belong, you don't belong in sin. And you're not going to be happy in sin. And if you're in here this morning, you say, I don't feel happy. I know I'm saved, but I'm just not worried because of sin. <laughs> sin has separated you between you and the Lord. That's, all, that's simply all it is. Look at verse 
13. Up, sanctify the people, and say unto yourselves against tomorrow. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, There is an accursed thing in the midst of thee, O Israel. Thou canst not stand before thine enemies until you take away the accursed thing from among you. So what he's saying there is, he said, sanctify yourself. Lord, sanctify yourself. Set yourself sanctify means to set yourself apart. Make yourself separated. You're holy. You're, you're not like the world. Well, you're not supposed to be. Amen. You say, well, they're going to call me a holy roller. They're going to call me a Bible thumper. They're going to call me a Jesus freak. Oh, man, I wish they would. That's a great testimony. I had somebody one time come, you're nothing but a Bible thumper. I, praise God. I love to be associated with Jesus Christ. Because, man, I've been associated with other people and hadn't been very good. Got me, or got me arrested. I've never been arrested being associated with Jesus Christ, but it's coming. But it's coming. Living in this country, it's coming. Verse 14, let's look at this, verse 14. Let's look at the next point. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought according to your tribes, and it shall be that the tribe which the Lord taketh shall come according to the families thereof, and the family which the Lord shall take shall come by the households, and the household which the Lord shall take shall come man by man. And it shall be that he that is taken with the accursed thing shall be burnt with fire. He and all that he hath, because he hath transgressed the covenant of the Lord, and because he hath wrought folly in Israel. So what he says is, okay, I want you to bring the tribes, and then with the, they're casting lots. It's like they're rolling dice. They're like, okay, Lord, and okay, it's not, it's not that tribe. It's the tribe of Judah. And then they'll, they'll roll dice, and they'll say, okay, it's, not, it's this family of the tribe of Judah. And then they'll roll some more dice. Okay, it's this, this man. And then they, that's how he's going to do it. In other words, they're going to find it out. Listen, the Bible says in Numbers 32, 23, one of the most frightening verses you'll ever find. And Brother George Roberts used to quote this to me all the time. You remember that, Sister Linda? Brother, Brother George used to quote this verse to me all the time. Be sure your sin will find you out. <laughs> Boy, that's, that's humbling. Be sure your sin will find you out. And Aiken's about to find that truth out. Verse 16, so Joshua rose up early in the morning and brought Israel by their tribes, and the tribe of Judah was taken. And he brought the family of Judah, and he took the family of Zerites, and he brought the family of Zerites man by man, and Zabdi was taken. And he brought his household man by man, and Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. And Joshua said unto Achan, My son, give I thee, give I pray thee, Glory to the Lord God of Israel, make confession unto him, and tell me how that thou hast, what thou hast done, hide it not from me. And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and thus and thus have I done. Notice, Achan doesn't confess until he's caught red-handed. See, that's called worldly repentance. See, in the Bible there's worldly repentance, and then there's godly repentance of sorrow. Worldly repentance is, I'm not, worldly repentance is this, I'm not sorry I done it, I'm sorry I got caught. That's worldly repentance. I'm in jail today and I'm not sorry that I stole or beat or murdered or raped or whatever I'm in jail today for, I'm, in, I'm sorry because I got caught. And we know a lot of them, if they get out, what do they do? The same thing again. Godly sorrow is, Lord, I'm sorry I did it, it's a sin against you and I don't want to do it anymore, I repent of that. That's a godly sorrow. So Achan is showing you how not to repent. Achan is showing you that if you're going to wait, God's judgment's going to come on you. 
Well, it hasn't yet, but there's a payday someday. And if you don't take care of those sins today, if you don't take care of those sins while you're here on this earth, one day when you take your last breath, you're going to stand before God, a holy God, and he's going to judge you for your sins. And see, unlike Israel, the whole nation of Israel, nobody knew Achan had done it. Nobody. They had no idea he had done it. But God knew. And when you stand before a holy, just God in the whole universe, you're going to stand before him and you're going to say, well, nobody knows I've done this. And God's going to say, on certain, certain day, on certain, certain, and you're going to be so flabbergastedly, I would say, embarrassed. When these sins start, those, all those sins that you have in that closet, you don't want anybody to find out about, God's going to open that closet. All those skeletons are going to fall out. Amen. Unless you've repented and put that stuff under the blood of Jesus Christ. Now you're starting to figure out why Jesus is so important. Now you're starting to figure out why we sing praises to Jesus Christ. Because he took all our sins, all these wicked sinners in here, he took our sins and he put it under his blood. Praise God. But brothers and sisters, once you get saved, you still got to answer to God as a father. And you got you to you do those things that he wants you to do and be righteous and be holy. Indeed, I have sinned. Verse 21, he says, he says how? When I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver, a wedge of gold of 50 shekels weight, then I coveted them and took them, and behold, they were hid in the earth in the midst of my tent and the silver under it. He said, when I saw among the spoils. See, the presentation is not the sin. It's what you do with the presentation. In other words, Satan, everybody in this room, Satan's going to present something to you. And it's what you do with that presentation. The presentation is not the sin. The temptation's not the sin. When you're presented the sin, presented to do that sin or to think that thought or do whatever it is that's a sin against you, against God, when you're presented that by the devil, that's not a sin. You see it, you saw it, but the sin is what you do with it in your heart. The presentation's not the sin. It's what you do with it. You need to guard your eyes. He said, I've seen it. I saw it among the spoils. You need to guard your eyes. I bet you 90% of our sins start right here, what we look at. I was talking to Brother Roel. Brother Roel, <laughs> Brother Roel just had heart surgery. He's doing really well. You know, Brother Roel, he comes into church. He had heart surgery. I was talking to him the other day, and he got to talking about it. He goes, you know, sometimes I'm up here at this. Uh, he goes and helps out the Salvation Army. He said, sometimes I'll be up there, and there'll be women dressed. He goes, they won't hardly have any clothes on. He's talking about how awful that this woman was, that comes up there dresses. And I said, well, well, what do you do? He goes, man, as soon as I see her, I go, whoop. He got, he got me to laughing so hard in his front yard, I couldn't hardly say The way he just did this little, like, Nazi step, whoop. He goes, I run. I'm like, brother, that will preach all day long. I run. I run. Paul says to flee. Flee from the appearance of evil. Flee. Run. One of the, one of the right, most righteous men outside of Jesus Christ you're going to find in your Bible is Joseph. And when Joseph was in Potiphar's house, when his wife, Potiphar's wife's like, Joseph, come lay with me. Come lay with me. Come sleep with me. Come on, Joseph. Come on. Nobody will know about it. Nobody will know about it. The Bible says that Joseph got it was running so fast away from her, she grabbed a hold of his clothes. He ran out of his clothes and just ripped them off. Just, she's holding on, and he just rips them off. Now, that's called fleeing. 
Amen. Amen, amen, amen. We need more of those in the church. You see sins presented to you, man, turn and run. Take off. Satan's main device. This is Satan's main, one of Satan's main devices right here. Oh, look at this. Don't they look juicy? That's a Twinkie. <laughs> now, come on, guys. Everybody loves the old nasty Twinkie. I could put this thing on that pulpit and that thing wouldn't age. It'd be 20 years from now and it still wouldn't have any green on it. But aren't those so tasty? See, Thomas Brooks wrote a book called Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices. He wrote it in 1650. 1650, right after the King James Bible was translated. He said this is the main device that Satan uses. And this is it right here. He presents the bait and hides the hook. Amen. He presents the bait and he hides the hook. So what the devil does, he says, doesn't that look so good? Doesn't that look so tasty? And then you chop down on it. He's got you. He's going to wheel you in. He's got you. You're in bondage. You're trapped. You know, some of y'all, if I was to invite some of the kids up here, say, hey, come up here and grab this twink Twinkie. And they were to grab a hold of that Twinkie and they would get that hook in their hand. Man, you would never forgive me for that, would you? Amen, I wouldn't forgive you if you, let, if you let my son come up here. If I let your kid come up here and grab a hold of this, and they got the hook in the hand, and, oh, and we, you know, we could get the hook out of hand. They might have a little bit of a scar maybe, but uh, they would heal up, amen. Brothers and sisters, little sins, you can, take the, you can take the bite of that little sin, and there's guys and brothers and sisters in here have took a, bit of, have took a bite of a sin that, God, that Satan's presented to them, and they're still dealing with it. They're still dealing with it. I know brothers that would love to quit smoking, but one day when they were young, they went, one time. And now they're 70 years old. I can't stop. I can't stop. I can't stop. Same way with alcohol. One drink. And I had a grown man in my car bawling. I just want to stop drinking. I just want to stop drinking. Satan said, here you go. He just dangled out the bait. But he hides the hook. He hides the hook. He says there in verse, in verse uh, 21, When I saw, he says, I coveted them and took them, and behold, they are hid. So with these sins, you'll hide them. You'll hide these sins. And that's the main thing a Christian does. Sin is something you hide. You keep secret. But I want to point out to you that God knew about it. Nobody else knew about it. Well, God knew about it. He knows you have it hid. Brother and sister, he knows the sins you have hid. He knows the sins you've ha you have hidden down. I don't know them. I don't want to know them. That's not, that's not, because your sin is not against me. Your sin is against a holy God. God knows about them. He doesn't want you to hide them. In Proverbs chapter 28, Solomon writes, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper. That's Proverbs 28, 13. But whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Praise God. I'm going to read that again because you need to hear it. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper. I'm looking at you, Achan. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper. I hid them in the earth. But whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. 
Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ said in Luke chapter 12, For there is nothing covered, there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. I'm going to give you some good news. I gave you all the bad. Here's the good news. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, 9. Write it down. Go home and memorize it. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's what the Lord does. When you get down and you say, Lord, I, 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 I'm going to stop. I'm going to do everything I can to stop this. Help me, Lord Jesus. Help me do this. He says, if you'll confess it, I'm going to cleanse it, and we're, we're okay. Everything's okay. The last thing I want to point out there in verse 22, and we're closing. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran unto the tent. And behold, it was hid in his tent, and the silver under it. And they took them out of the midst of the tent, and brought them unto Joshua, and to all the children of Israel, and laid them out before the Lord. And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan the son of Zerah and the silver and the garment and the wedge of gold and his sons and his daughters and his sons and his daughters and his oxen and his asses and his sheep and his tent and all that he had and they brought them into the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why hast thou troubled us? The Lord shall trouble thee this day. And all Israel stoned him with stones and burned them with fire and they had stoned them with stones after they had stoned them with stones. One of Satan's devices, and I'm going to close by giving you this one. One of Satan's devices is he convinces you that your sin, your sin doesn't bother anybody else. That's the greatest lie. My sin that I do will affect everybody in this church. My sin I do, I, that I do and have done, it affects everybody in this church. Not just because I'm a pastor, but because I'm your brother and sister. And the Lord won't move when I'm sinning and not repenting of what I'm doing. And brothers and sisters, it affects everybody in here. When you're sinning, it affects everybody else. And we don't know it. And I'm not accusing one person. I'm saying to look at yourself and say, listen, I need to realize Satan's lying to me, telling me that I'm doing this sin and it's hidden and nobody knows about it and it doesn't affect anybody. It affects everybody. Let me, let me list out to you. It affected a whole nation. It affected a whole tribe. It affected a whole family. And, it, and most of all, it affected himself. When I get right with God, I'm a better pastor. I'm a better preacher. I'm a better teacher. I'm a better friend. I'm a better husband. I'm a better dad. And above all else, I'm a better son to my Lord and Savior and Father. It's important to get that sin took care of, not to hide it. The Bible says you're not going to be prospering when you're hiding it. But if you confess it, God will give you mercy. Hello, friends. This is Pastor Keegan Hall of Indian Gap Baptist Church of Indian Gap, Texas. If you'd like to contact us, you can do it at IndianGapBaptist.com. On the Internet, it's IndianGapBaptist.com. But I have a question for you. If you died tonight... Do you know if you would go to heaven? You know, if you're not sure, let me show you a few verses out of the Bible so you can know if you have eternal life. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. So that verse tells us there that you can know you have eternal life. And I want to show you how you can know that. Jesus Christ talked in John chapter 3 verse 16. And most people have heard this verse. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's an amazing verse, of course, talking about how God gave Jesus Christ as a gift to the world. But verse 17 and 18, he went on to say something interesting. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So the whole reason Jesus Christ came into this world was to save you and to save me and you. But in verse 18, he says something that's amazing. He says that he that believeth on him is not condemned. He's stressing a faith. It's putting your faith into Jesus Christ. But he says there in verse 18, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So he says you're condemned already if you haven't believed in Jesus Christ. It's not like you're going to go to heaven and you're going to stand before God and you're going to have God put your good deeds on the scale and your bad deeds on on the other side of the scale and he's going to weigh it. And if you've been a good enough person down on this earth that he'll let you into heaven. It doesn't work that way. Jesus Christ is real explicit here to say that you're condemned already. You need a savior right now. Same chapter down in verse 36, it says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. It goes back to a believe, putting your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But the verse continues, And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. See, it's going on right now. You need a Savior right now. You need to be saved from a devil's hell. Paul sums it up real good here in Romans chapter 10, verse 9. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. It's putting your faith in Jesus Christ from the heart. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and then with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. It's very important to confess Jesus Christ, because the mouth shows where the heart's at. And in verse 13 he sums it up, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So friends, as simple as just bowing your head and saying a prayer, something like this. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you can came up from the grave and are alive right now listening to me. I invite you into my heart to save me. Please save me, Lord Jesus. Amen. If you prayed something similar to that, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us at IndianGapBaptist.com. And God bless you. And until next time. Casting all your care upon him.